Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. This week, a documentary about a contradictory film star. I have no ambitions to become a film actor. There are very few actors who have been in two popular franchises. You people said we can't have Gandalf the gay, but apparently you could. And another one about an angry young fashion designer. Nobody could create emotion like the Queen. If you leave without emotion, then I'm not doing my job properly. I don't want you to walk out feeling like you've just had Sunday lunch. While the flip side attempts the impossible to make Eddie Izzard not funny. So I don't act, I just, I just be. <laughs> you invited the man who smashed your heart to smithereens for a pyjama party? Hello, I'm Simon Morris. Last week I welcomed this year's spring cleaning season, that wonderful period whose proud motto is, all bets are off. But of course, haphazard releases of films that nobody can find a place for anywhere else necessarily includes a number of duds. I mean, that's the point, right? With risky movies, there's a strong chance they might bomb badly. And that's often the attraction. What we have here at Shady Rest is an Egyptian soul sucker of some sort. Some kind of Bubba Hotep. You know, a mummy hiding out, feeding on the sleeping. I look back over the years at favourite spring cleaning titles, the gloriously nuts Bubba Hotep in which a superannuated Elvis Presley hiding out in an old folks' home takes on a sinister Egyptian demon. The wonderfully subversive teen movie Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. The tiny and proud of it adult life skills starring Jodie Whittaker just before becoming the next Doctor Who. I'm turning 30 in two days and I live in a shed at the bottom of my mum's garden and I make videos with my thumbs. Anna's problem is the childhood ambition was to be rescued by David Hasselhoff of Baywatch. When I was your age, I wanted to have an adventure. Oh, jeez, oh, she doesn't need a bloody adventure. And there are unexpected hits among the minority-taste oddballs. Films like The Delirious Kick-Ass, which could only have found a home and an audience in spring, or The Astonishing Gravity, which went on to win the Oscar. I can't! I can't! Your ah, GPS is down! I can't! It's down! I can't! Ah, Give me a visual! I told you nothing! I see nothing! You have a visual of Explorer! No! You have a visual no. by SS! No! You need to focus anything to the sun and the earth! But for every mad and daring triumph, there are any amount of lesser works. Films that couldn't quite pull off their central idea. Films that didn't really have a central idea. Documentaries that rambled. Dramas that went off in the wrong direction. And comedies without jokes. And I'm sorry to say we have a fair few of those this week, for all the good intentions of many of them. Just sleep well. It's a sex bruise. (laughs) Oh, so you told Jeff about him. No. Why would I do that? Ronnie, be careful. 
Don't be so dramatic, Sam. It's fine. There are two documentaries about talented artists, McKellen about star actor Sarian and McQueen about bad boy fashion genius Alexander that suffer from a lack of focus. And there are two comedies from either side of the Tasman, a safe Australian romantic comedy that's called The Flip Side for no discernible reason and a rickety, unsafe Kiwi romp called Mega Time Squad. Those guys won't stop talking about you. True, what are they saying? Just that you're a sneaky and that they shouldn't have trusted you and that they didn't trust you and that you're full of yourself and you're a pussy and that they're going to find you and they're going to kill you. It's very dangerous. Chinese, eh? The one film out of this week's collection that features halfway decent acting, unsurprisingly, is McKellen. It's even subtitled Playing the Part. I'm a 30-year-old actor earning £50 a week. There is no doubt that Sir Ian McKellen is not only one of the best actors currently treading the boards or gracing the cinema, but he's played some of the most interesting parts. From Shakespeare and Marlowe to providing the interest in pop culture epics like Lord of the Rings and X-Men, Sir Ian is worthy of attention. Or rather, his work is worthy of attention. It used to be that it was my secret... My life. My profession. So what side of Ian McKellen am I going to present? And that's an important distinction. The reason we've heard of people like Ian McKellen is because of their wonderful work. And their work is so good because they devote most of their lives to it, which doesn't leave much over for an underlying story. I was the lad who loved the theatre. I went into the dressing rooms, right up close to performers. I was just fascinated. Much of McKellen playing the part is taken up with a long, exhaustive interview with the great man, and it's interesting enough for a while, even if it sticks pretty close to the usual format of the celebrity actor autobiography. Anything you could want from a human being, I found it working in the theatre particularly. I was able to just be, exist... McKellen was born in Lancashire to a family who wouldn't have been out of place in Coronation Street and became infatuated by the stage when Mum took him off to see an Ivan Novello musical. After that, you couldn't keep him away from the theatre. It soon became clear that young Ian was born for the stage. He acted all the time at school, at university and then professionally. All the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. And the rest of the film is devoted to Ian McKellen climbing up the greasy pole to fame, if not fortune. The theatre, then as now, was certainly not a shortcut to wealth, but fame, on the other hand, came rather quickly. Ian McKellen. Ian McKellen. McKellen. Ian McKellen. British actor Ian McKellen. One of his country's best actors. The man said to be the leading classical actor of his generation. He worked with everyone, often dazzling the critics, but you'll get very little insight into why he was so good. Actors are often frustratingly secretive about their gifts and techniques, though they do love analysing others. And there's still a generation of old actors like me who imitate Lance Olivier, whether they know it or not in the way they walk, in the way they talk, in the way that they pick a moment to deliver. It happens all over the place. 
Laurence Olivier. McKellen is rather good discussing the approaches of Laurence Olivier, Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro, though oddly this scene was cut out of the film for some reason. Possibly to make room for the more commercial material, McKellen's late career films and his prominence in the gay rights movement. I had no ambitions to become a film actor. There are very few actors who have been in two popular franchises. You people said we can't have Gandalf the gay, but apparently you could. Frankly, more time is devoted to both Lord of the Rings and McKellen being gay than is strictly necessary, in my opinion. They are, after all, the two things about Sirian that most of us already know. I spent the first 49 years of my life having to pretend to be something other than I was. It exists in society. Be at ease with it. Admit there is a variety. I'd have preferred more about his wider film career, particularly because film acting didn't come naturally to him. And the story behind his appearance playing a version of himself with Ricky Gervais in extras is both amusing and revealing. If we were to draw a graph of my process, of my method, something like this, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian, action. Wizard, you shall not pass! Cut! Sir Ian, Sir Ian, Sir Ian. The best parts of McKellen are when he's playing some of the famous parts from a stellar career. Macbeth with Judy Dench, Waiting for Godot with Patrick Stewart, his Oscar-nominated performance in Gods and Monsters. The camera, well, you just forget about it. Can't forget about it, but uh, you know it's there, but it's, uh, it's another friend. The least gripping bits are Sarian talking about himself. He offers very few insights, though I suppose there's no reason why he should. Just because you're a great actor doesn't mean you have to be a psychological genius too. My professional life is devoted to strangers. Stories bring human beings together. If you don't do Eurovision properly, do you know what will happen? What will happen? You Still, I'm sorry there wasn't room for my favourite McKellen role when he returned to his Lancashire roots for a stint as a fraudulent writer on Coronation Street. As is often the case, the work revealed rather more than the man. Uh, do you do this as a favour or do they pay you money? They pay me. Really? For this? <laughs> the Queen's coin? Well, it's real money. Well, it is superficially impressive. It's like a dog walking on two legs. It's not done well, but one's amazed it's done at all. Comparing the two documentaries out this week, both with supremely talented Englishmen from humble beginnings, was fascinating. McKellen dealt with one I knew well, while McQueen, the story of fashion designer Alexander McQueen, was about a man and a world I vaguely knew of, if at all. There's lots of people who say, I discovered McQueen. No one discovered Alexander McQueen. Alexander McQueen discovered himself. He started out in life as Lee McQueen and looked and sounded as unlike a king of haute couture as it's possible to be. He didn't come from Milan or Paris, New York or Mayfair. He was a tubby blonde skinhead from Stratford, East London. But he had one thing he could do superlatively. He was a sweet boy from the East End. I wasn't very good at school. I was always drawing clothes in science, in biology. He's got nothing, and yet he was determined this is what he was going to do. I bought all my fabrics with my doll money. 
Lee McQueen left school early and blagged his way into jobs in the rag trade. And everywhere he went, he dazzled people with his extraordinary gifts. He found a way to make his presence felt either on his own or through friends and supporters like the equally colourful Isabella Blow. That's the thing about Alexander's. I think his clothes are very emotional. It's, this coat is like based on a tramp. So it's based on someone who hasn't got any money, standing in the street, nowhere to sleep. You wrap it round yourself, you feel fantastic. Then you have all this passion and love. The world of fashion is bizarre and alien anyway. So much money, so many egos, so much random dumb luck as something takes off or doesn't take off. But even in this world, McQueen, he was now Alexander rather than the more proletarian Lee, was something new. New, sexy, romantic and often rather horrifying. Nobody could create emotion like McQueen. If you leave without emotion, then I'm not doing my job properly. I don't want you to walk out feeling like you've just had Sunday lunch. His collections were inspired by Jack the Ripper, or Robots, or the Battle of Culloden. One was called The Highland Rape. To my untutored eye, they had far more to do with the confronting side of art than with fashion and clothes. Indeed, many of his models were half-naked much of the time. I want you to be repulsed or exhilarated. As long as it's an emotion. His garments, they're almost confessional. In my work, everything I do is personal, even turning Kate Moss into a hologram. McQueen put together an equally talented team of designers, jewellers, models, stylists, in the way other artists would put together a band or a theatre troupe or a film crew. And his astonishing, often alarming fashion events were the talk of the town. His friends and family were amazed. I thought, my God... They're all here to see Lee. I hope they're not disappointed because I, I thought this is just Lee from Stratford. And not just London town. In a bewilderingly short time, McQueen, initially dismissed as Job Couture, had caught the attention of Europe. He was offered and accepted the job of creative head of the French fashion house Givenchy, at the same time keeping up his own McQueen house in London. I do 14 collections a year, so the pressure's immense. His clothes have all this slashing and sex and romance. And the darkness created genius. 14 collections a year, dozens of outfits per collection, and each one being judged by his own ridiculously high standards. How did he do it? Well, partly he surrounded himself with talent, though everyone agreed his was always the final say. And he also stayed very close to his family, particularly his mum and his sister Janet. Aunt Rini and Mum made sure that the models had some sandwiches. Mum would have probably done her sausage rolls. We were all really, as a group of young, really cool English models, so excited to see this, this man that had this reputation. McQueen has the dramatic advantage in a biographical documentary of brevity, a story about a genius in a mad, drug fueled world of money and excess was never going to be a long one. He thought the whole system was against him. His vision was so extraordinary. Just genius. I saw myself within the public eyes, the gazelle, and the gazelle always got eaten. 
Like so many similar documentaries, McQueen shares much of the DNA of Amy, the equally doomed Londoner Amy Winehouse. The direction of the story is as predictable as if it were on rails. He made every headline. People were talking. He was breaking outside of fashion and becoming famous. People literally fighting to see the catwalk. Rags to riches to self-destruction and, at the end, dismay that the wonders the artist created, McQueen's clothes and the way he presented them were unique, were still not, in the end, enough to make him happy. Having to become this persona, this Alexander McQueen. They told him it was impossible and he said, no, it's not, you can do it. And that's what he did. He did the impossible. My advice when invited to discover the true story behind some of the world's greatest artworks, whether the artist is Beethoven or Van Gogh or Alexander McQueen, is don't go there. The story is very rarely a happy one or even an enlightening one. This is what I was born to do. The fragility of life. We can all be discarded quite easily. You're there, you're gone. (laughs) I'm not sure why so few Australian comedy films seem to cross the ditch to our cinemas. Aussie TV dramas are fixtures in prime time here, and any amount of favourite movie stars hail from the lucky country. Hugh Jackman, Chris Hemsworth, Rebel Wilson and Nicole Kidman. Have a guess who called here today? Henry Selbert. Hi. Well, you must have made a very good impression. Back the truck up. It's coming to Adelaide. Screening of his new film. None of these people are in a romantic comedy from Adelaide called The Flipside. Instead, it stars nobody I've heard of and, of all people, Eddie Izzard. You look beautiful. You look at me differently. Me or him? Well, don't get too excited. Eddie is extraordinarily miscast as a sexy romantic film star returning to Adelaide to see an old flame called Ronnie. Ronnie is played by Emily Tahini, who's the actual star of The Flipside. I know. Me neither. So I don't act. I just... I just be. (laughs) You invited the man who smashed your heart to smithereens for a pyjama party? Ronnie is married to a doofus called Jeff and the comedy part of the romantic comedy is provided by the situation in which Henry the film star, Eddie Izzard, comes to stay with Ronnie and Jeff. Oh, with his snobby French girlfriend in tow. What is the bush? In other words, the outback. The countryside? Yeah, only shitter. French bush is very beautiful, Jeff. I say it's a romantic comedy, but that's not quite accurate. The script by first-time director Marian Poloski isn't remotely romantic because the characters are so uninteresting. And it falls down in the comedy department too by containing almost no jokes. How old were you here, Veronica? Oh, about nine, I guess. You had beautiful skin then. Thank you. Actually, there is one possibly accidental gag near the end involving Eddie Izzard, a kangaroo and a tacky tourist boomerang. It's so out of keeping with the rest of the film that I can only surmise that Izzard ad-libbed it out of desperation. The flip side certainly needed something, but it needed it a lot earlier than this. Will you ever forgive me? Jeff, I need to tell you something. 
are you with me? Because I love you. Also in the multiplexes this week is another comedy from closer to home. And at least Kiwi film Mega Time Squad is technically a real comedy in that it contains some recognisable jokes. Hey, Terry. Look at this. Surprise, motherfucker. <laughs> oh, yeah. Recognisable but generally unrepeatable jokes. The tale of a bunch of bandits from the tiny town of Thames is straight from the 48-hour film challenge school of comedy. But to be fair, it's rather better done than you'd expect in many departments. Who's this? This is Johnny. It's bloody dynamic. The acting is merely serviceable, with the exception of the entertaining Johnny Bruff of what we do in the shadows. Bruff devours the scenery as Tim's crime kingpin Sheldon, who sends the gormless John off to collect money from the local Chinese triad. John decides to steal the money instead, to the surprise of the manager of the triad-owned shop. Holy shit! I never thought anybody would be stupid enough to steal from triads. Well, you never met us then, did you? The heist goes wrong. John's on the run from both Sheldon and Chinese gangsters. But along the way, our idiot hero gets hold of a magic time-travelling amulet. It's like the Chinese money. You see Johnny? Shoot him. Don't know at least get a gun. It's not America. Not made of guns. John keeps flicking back in time. The time travel effects are rather good for a low-budget film called Mega Time Squad. And breaking all the laws of this sort of story, he keeps bumping into himself. So much so that he's able to form a gang made up of various versions of him. This guy. Get some money back or I'll kill her and then I'll kill you. Why are you arguing? I thought this is what you wanted. The Mega Time Squad. Fuck your Mega Time Squad. I want my own gang. This is literally your own gang. I realise this makes very little sense, though to be fair to writer-director Tim Van Dammen, it doesn't have to. Van Dammen is fondly remembered in some circles for his trailer park rock opera Romeo and Juliet. And like that film, Mega Time Squad has its own goofy charm. Just give us the money, mate. Let other me go. When the various Johns start arguing with each other, all played by deadpan actor Anton Tennant, it's hard not to be a bit impressed by its low-budget skills. And it's always easy to forgive a comedy when it's actually got some laughs in it. Till I tell my mum about this... Mega Time Squad is the sort of film that could only come out during the spring clean-up and it's by no means the worst of that genre. Park your brain at the door and you'll definitely get some laughs out of it, even if you might hate yourself immediately afterwards. Still, you can't argue with funny. I'm Simon Morris and I hope you'll join me at the movies same time next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. 
for full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. 